day on Striving Double Feature Presents Howling 2 and 7-2, a minute-by-minute podcast covering the second Howling film and the seventh Howling film, 85's Howling 2, Your Sister's a Werewolf, 94's Howling New Moon Rising, let us dive right in. Howling 2, we are inside the warehouse, the lady who is probably a werewolf and probably howled for some werewolf friends is possibly half-nude. Uh, kind of scampering around the darkness. Um, there are three punks and a punkette there, and the punk and and the punk gal are kind of fooling around off to one side, and the other two guys um, are going to follow the woman into the darkness. And this might be problematic. Let's see. Let's see if it becomes problematic in this episode, or whether we just have another episode of people kind of standing around doing not much. Listen to this. Rough. What the fuck's going on? Oh, you shouldn't have done that. You make Deacon mad. And he gets real nasty when he's mad. (laughs) Party time. Spread out. I know you're there, my little beauty, and I've got something for you. Get that bitch. I think she's over there. She can be like I'm some sort of freak. So I did go frame by frame through the bit where Deacon gets his hand lopped off, presumably by the claw of the werewolf, and it's, um, it looks to me like it's impossible to tell. You see him around the corner, you see the shot of our werewolf lady now full on like werewolf snout, you see him scream, and then it kind of does a pause and zooms in on his face real quick and goes to black, sort of like the shot when... Um, the woman in the pre-credit sequence of Friday the 13th is about to get stabbed but she throws her hands up by her face and then it freeze frames and pulls in on her zooms and, and they optically zoom in on her face and then everything goes to white this is the same thing except it goes to black and then for a split second after it goes to black you see something on the right side of the screen it looks like a blade but it's not the, the blade that that he, Deacon has he's got this little chintzy switchblade thing and then you all of a sudden, uh, you see, you see, uh, well, you, you see, it, it looks like, it looks like almost like a sword handle or something like that. Maybe it's something, maybe it's the werewolf, I don't know what the hell it is, it's really impossible to tell what it is. And then you get a shot of the knife in the hand, and then all of a sudden you get just like, a, like a burst of blood, and it, look, it looks like, what looks like someone's arm has been hacked off. And then a moment later you see his hand on the ground, no, no real blood around, like flexing with the, um, the, the, the knife still in it. So, I mean, I'm imagining what happened is he let out a whoa and held up the knife and the and the wolf I was gonna say the wolf lobbed off his hand but it looks like it lobbed off its arm his arm but we only see his hand maybe it kept the rest of it I don't know maybe it's playing a game it sure looked like they were playing games earlier in the minute but it's a really weird I the, the funny thing about the editing is that um I mean, you see, you see a shot of something spewing blood, and it looks like a um, it looks like like a shoulder, like an arm's been cut off. Um, but 
it's really weird. Watch it. Watch it. Tell me if it makes. Tell me what that is. Right, right. It goes to black, and then for a split second, I mean a split second. I mean it's probably only in two frames, three frames, over on the far right in the top. It looks like a sword blade or something like gold or something appears for a second. Then you see the blade in the hand, little blade in the hand. Then blood spraying everywhere. You hear the scream, and then it cuts to those goofballs looking over there, and they see the hand fly out or the hands now on the ground with the blade. I can't tell what's going on. I can make guesses as to what's going on. And like I said again, it doesn't. It it looks like bad cutting to me, um, because if if it was something where the MPAA said, "Oh no, you got to cut that out," I'm sure they wouldn't have done it in such a way that made it incoherent. I mean, one of the joys about the Friday the Thirteenth films when they have rampant cuts in them is that there are some scenes where they'll just show a split second of gore. Or, or they'll, you'll hear the sound, or you'll hear a scream, or you'll see a reaction, and it will implant in your imagination what's going on. Killer Party is a great example of this. Killer Party has a ton of killings in it, and but almost no gore. And from what I've read is the director knew what he could and couldn't do, and so he simply didn't shoot the scenes with gore in them because he knew they needed an R and they'd be edited out. That's why there's no extended version of Killer Party around. The the killings apparently the killings we see in them, those about like when the guy gets his head cut off, the thing comes down and right when it's about to hit his head we cut away and then we see the blade rise up with blood on it. Perfect. This looks this though is just confusing. This is just a confusing series of cuts. Um and the the, the weird thing is though, I mean I and it's a fusing series of cuts preceded by that freeze frame with the optical zoom in and the fading to black. I mean, is that meant the fade to black meant to mean that he's dead? Like, like Duncan, Desmond, Dodo, what's his name? I forgot now. This guy is dead now? Is that, is that what that means? But then you see those those three brief shots and the the three brief shots they, I mean here's the thing at the end of the day you can be as Godardy as you want you can cut all around it you can go from here to there and everything but if you're doing something like this it has to I mean like like an action scene it has to make sense you know like you can't you can't have someone you know I, I'm making this up like running around a corner and then someone is standing there around the corner and punches them and then you see them suddenly fly back around that corner or something like that you can't like have someone like run around the corner then you see a close-up of a face, then a close-up of a fist, then a close-up of another face, and then the person's on the ground. That doesn't really make sense. Do you know what I mean? You have to, everything has to be there when you're doing something like this. You, you can't, you can't, well, you shouldn't be abstract on something like this. A man rounds a corner, uh, someone he thought was a beautiful woman has become a giant werewolf and swats his hand off with, with one whoop, swipe of the claws. That should be a kick-ass moment. That should be a moment where he lets out a, whoa, raises the blade. You see the werewolf. The werewolf goes, and you just see the hand go flying through the air. Instead, it's confusion. And again, I don't feel like it's, a, it's, a, it's an MPAR rating cut. It looks like they were trying something, and it didn't work. I could be wrong, but what would they have cut? I mean, you see the, the, the sort of the gory shoulder with the blood spraying everywhere. What would they have cut? The, the the thing hitting the shoulder and then the arm flying off? Why why would that have been more offensive than a bloody stump spewing blood all over the place? It's a it's a badly edited moment is what it is. But it is saved by the fact that um so the one guy's a deacon gets hit in the head with a at a bottle. I love that the werewolves are goofing. I love that they're comedy werewolves. And 
Deacon approaches us with the knife. So, well, not us, but the camera. And the best moment of the film so far is the the guy, the guy who was sniffing the panties of the bra, whatever the hell it was in the previous minute, is like making all sorts of annoying. T tell me you didn't laugh out loud, and I think you're supposed to laugh out loud when that one guy is in the background being really annoying as Deacon is coming towards the camera, and then all of a sudden, like a giant plastic tube or something flies into the screen and knocks him over. You tell me that's not funny. That's funny, and that's the thing that makes it weird. Is like if you've seen any of Philippe Mora's other films, like Howling Three, um, uh, you know he's got a good sense of humor. So you you know there's I'm I'm not saying it's going to be as tongue in cheek as say like a James Bryan Dog in the Woods, but you know there's a bit of there's tongue in cheek at the back of this. So the so you think the scene with the hand being lopped off would have been handled in a more amusing or maybe coherent manner, but. The guy getting hit with that big plastic tube, whatever, is funny and it's worth the price of admission for this minute. I'm not going to go too much deeper into it. But just suffice to say, yeah, you see the woman howl again. It's clear there's something around there. Guy gets hit with a glass. Knife comes out. Guy gets hit with a plastic tube. Hand comes off. The punkette is screaming and the other punk's like, huh, what's going on? And that's the way the minute ends. And what the F is happening. And sorry about the swearing, but it's, hey, it's that kind of thing. I guess, I guess... It's it's an R-rated podcast, right? I, I hate I I well I don't hate the fact that it's an R-rated podcast. I'm not wearing pants. I'm kidding. Um, I I you know the fact that it's an R-rated podcast means you know that some I, I want everyone to hear it. But if if I'm putting in the audio, you're gonna hear some f's thrown around, especially if it's a crazy ass film like this, which is crazy ass. So so the minute it has the tube or whatever hitting the guy, which is hilarious, and the incoherently added if some uh, the uh, hand getting swatted off scene if someone could tell me one do they think that the arm is getting hit got hit off rather than just the hand and two what is going on the moment i i, I get the zoom in and the fade to black that could be um that could be a reference to friday the 13th part of the part one that could just be there was there was a problem that maybe a shot didn't come out and they needed to extend it slightly, um, extend the moment of suspense slightly, so they did that instead. Um, it doesn't work, um, because on Friday the 13th, when it went to white, it fade, the white faded to black, and the credits began. And there we are. In this, it immediately goes into confusion, and at the end of it, you're like, what? Oh, it's a hand. What? So if anyone can figure out what's going on in this scene, if Philip Moray, Philippe Moray is listening, please, what's going on in that scene? <gasps> Commentary. Let me check the commentary. I will check the commentary. Listen, next time. You know, I try not to go into the commentaries for these because I'm trying to um, get my honest reaction to watching them. A lot of folks do the minute by minutes, and they do a lot of research, and they give you a lot of everything on it. Um, with this, I'm just using my experience um, from from knowing how films are made, and and just just wondering, and and I'm. I, I like to leave questions hanging. Um, granted, does this mean I'm lazy? I don't know. Maybe it does. Um, maybe it does. But um, I will check the commentary for this one, and I will get back to you on the next episode to see if, if the director says why that's so confusing. Maybe it was an MPAA thing. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe it cut from his mouth dropping open Maybe he held up the knife, and then they had to edit in such a way so they filled. Maybe this they had to cover the sound at that point, and they needed an image there. They didn't have an image, so they froze that image and optically zoomed in on it to take. That would make sense. 
I know, maybe it doesn't make any sense. What the F is happening? Indeed. So let's go on a Howling New Moon Rising. And we ended the previous minute. Let's see. It's nighttime. It's presumably... Presumably Ted has been there a day. I guess 24 hours. It's tough to say because he seems to really have ingratiated himself into the bunch. If you saw the last two minutes. Um, but it ends with, yeah, Harriet is singing a song on their stage in Pioneer Town Palace to Pappy. And Pappy's trying to get down on one knee, but he's kind of an old guy. And everyone's giggling. And they're, they're singing a song. Um, and here's, here's the next minute. That's Ted's a cowboy? Hey, Ted. Yeah. You used to ride in rodeos in Australia, didn't you? Hell yeah, I was the Australian champion. Australian champion? What stopped you, Ted? Can't fool off my horse. <laughs> hey, Jack. Looks like you've been getting your shirts out of Jackman's side of the closet again. <laughs> Good night, Jacqueline. I hate to sound skeptical. I believed in Santa Claus till I was eight years old. I'm not a flippant man, nor a religious zealot, but everything I'm about to tell you is based on fact, not supposition. Okay, facts I can deal with. These facts go back 500 years. Excuse me, 500 years? So I'll, I'll go first to the sheriff, or the, the police officer, and the priest, who, <clears throat> are they talking on the same timeline as we're seeing at Pioneer Town Palace? Because if... Ted, if Ted got there the night before, got the job, you see him working all day, so so the footage we've seen him working all day, jumping on the back of the truck that doesn't run, uh, dancing around and, and um, with the sombreros on, um, doing that thing where they're all having their drinks and, and, and pushing up the glasses, um, tell me some of that implies that he's been there for a few days now it, it you see that sort of work day montage and then you see that it's night again so I, I i can't tell whether the movie is saying that he arrived got the job worked all day we saw the montage now this is the next night this is 24 hours later because he seems very um ingratiated into the group and the fact that like when those two guys are pushing the truck he just jumps onto the back of the truck and sits there if it was my first day on the job i i wouldn't do that i'd be one of the people pushing the truck unless i became instantly known as a jokester and maybe he does i don't know he seems to be um but it's it's funny because that scene to me implies like him in there making the joke about the cowboy and the joke about jack jack and jacqueline's um, wardrobe to me this this sort of implies that that Ted's been there a while you know this isn't Ted's first night he's been there a while um, you know a few days maybe even a week you know ingratiate himself in with the group and that's fine but when we cut to the the priest and the, and the and the cop they're still having the same conversation they were having the day the evening Ted drove into town to get the job so either Ted and the cop, or the cop and the priest, have been talking for like 24 hours straight, or they talk late in the night, the cop went away, he came back, now they're talking again. If this is several days later, rather than one day later, they've been talking for days, they've been sitting there talking for days, no wonder the, the, the cop seems to be a little bit antsy, but, but what, yeah, what is the timeline here? 
Has Ted, as of this minute, been there for 24 hours? Or has he been there for two days, three days a week, maybe even more? And how long have the sheriff, or how long have the cop, I'm going to just call him the sheriff, how long have the sheriff and the priest been talking about this, been telling the story? I mean, it's going to get overcomplicated. Um, we already saw that we saw we saw a brief moment from Howling Six. We will soon be seeing a brief moment from Howling Five. Um, so it's going to get overcomplicated. Um, but are they not running on the same timelines? Could Ted be doing his his stuff on one timeline, which is maybe three four days advanced from the story being told by priest to police officer? I don't know. But that's sure what it looks like, isn't it? Because whenever they cut back to the cop and the, the priest, it's nighttime and they're talking. So yeah, and they talk briefly. It was 500 years ago, and there's a joke about believing in Santa until he was eight. Hey, I believe in Santa. I still, I still do. I still do believe in Santa. That's why I, I hop on NORAD every Christmas Eve. Oh, it was just Christmas Eve, and I was on NORAD rather than it being the beginning of summer, and we're all sitting around sweating. Boy. Sorry, that's just me. Sorry, I uh, you know you, did, I, did I tell you all that I meant to do a Christmas themed minute by minute? I, I meant to start it around Halloween and have it done around Christmas, but last year with COVID and Trump and his supporters and cronies doing doing like awful shit almost every day of the year, I found it very difficult to work as the year went on. So I apologize. Maybe this year I will do that. I had a fun idea, which I probably already mentioned at least once. Anyway, so so yeah, so the, so the cop and the priest are going to get on with another stage of the story. I mean, I'd like to think it's he went there for a while, he left, he came back the next day. But I guess we could check the suits, huh? Because I'm looking at it now. The priest is dressed the same, right? Priest is, give me a second. Okay, he is wearing the same outfit. And what we saw him previously... He was, like, sitting with the chair, like, turned around, you know, sitting the way the fawn sits, you know, with his arm up on the back of the chair, kind of trying to take in what the priest was saying. And now he seems to be more or less in the same room, but sitting properly in a chair. So he is wearing the same suit. So unless he his, his theory behind, like, meetings that take several nights is, I'll wear the same clothes so you know it's me then I think this is all meant to take place on one night. And it's funny, too, because if you look at the way we intercut the stuff with Ted and Pioneer Town Palace and the priest and the cop telling the story of what's going on werewolf-wise, it's completely random. Things are thrown just completely in there. I mean, you get the joke with Jack and Jacqueline, which makes no sense, we'll talk about in a minute. Then we cut back to the priest and the cop. I'm not going to talk about them anymore because we'll talk about them more in the next minute. But let's just, uh, what happens at Pioneer Town Palace? Yeah, oh yeah, um, Harriet sings some more to Pappy. We get a couple of shots of guys drinking, um, guys drinking. One guy has like um, uh, a red and white bandana around his head and seems to have trouble keeping booze in his mouth. Uh, there's another shot of two guys drinking and one of whom uh, will play a part. I think we may have seen briefly, but one of whom will play a part later on. And then as you see that guy drinking, you get the really, you get just a burst of um, dialogue from Brock that sounds like, and then it cuts to Brock and Jacqueline and, sitting at the bar and I've forgotten the bartender's name, sorry. Um, and, and the other guy whose name I've forgotten also, the one the guy with the glasses, who's not Brock, who introduces Ted to Pappy. He's like, yeah, you were an Australian cowboy. I got it right here. Yeah, you were. So. Ted kept falling off my horse, and then it cuts to Brock and the guy, and they laugh. And it's funny, because it's funny. I, lo I love that, because um, 
Uh, that's why they love Ted, because he's this wacky Australian. And then you get that bit with Jack and Jacqueline, and um, the bartender gives um, Jack a drink, and then he leaves without drinking out of it. That always drives me up the wall. Drink some of your freaking drink. But but it's, it's, it's weird, because Jack and Jacqueline are husband and wife, and she's got like a purple hat on, and sort of like a um, uh, white dress with all sorts of little designs on it, and Jack has a pair of jeans and a purple shirt on, and when he says, oh, you've been picking your clothes out of her side of the closet again, and he gets up and leaves, you expect more to it? I ex What I actually expected was I expected that he was going to walk towards the camera, and we were going to see he, he was dressed like the killer from Blood Lake, who has a sort of frilly... Um, wearing the dress shirts with sort of like frills and things on me. Like, why is he wearing that? Um, I thought that's what we were going to see, but I, I don't know. It's like, it's like so she's got the purple hat, so his shirt matches her hat. There is some purple in her dress, but not a ton. So I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't fully get why... He, is that meant to be a blouse? Is that is that what that is? I don't know. I don't, I don't fully figure why he's wearing a cool... I have a purple shirt almost exactly like that. I don't get the joke. I think... I don't get the joke. And he walks away, and everyone kind of half laughs, and it cuts to the priest and the cop. And I'm sure you saw that. In the, if you saw that within a crowd from the Pioneer Town Palace, everyone would have been hysterics, and you needed more time um, to clear... Uh, more blank space in there before the priest and the cop started talking. Before they... You know, because the laughter was so big. But not knowing what this is... Is, that doesn't make any sense because clearly the way the bartender says it, it's a running joke, but it doesn't make any sense. It looks like a couple who have done some color coordination. She's wearing a cool purple hat. He's wearing the cool purple shirt. I don't get why that is from her side of the closet because it's the same color. I think what it is personally is it was a, it was a running joke. Like the um, like the thing with the pushing your glasses up and taking the drink. There was some sort of running joke or something that they had at Pioneer Town Palace, you know. And one day, like this was a couple who came into the palace, uh, and may, uh, maybe a couple times a week, and they always had some color coordination. And one day, someone made a joke about uh, looking at his his outfit and her outfit and said, "You've been picking your clothes out of her side of the closet again." And everybody laughed, and so they included it in here. But the way it's shot, and the way it's done. There's no, um, there's no verve to it. There's no, it just feels like, what? And then it ends. And it's, um, it doesn't really work, but because it doesn't really work, it does exactly what it should do in my mind, which is it becomes fascinating. I could spend the next 10 minutes talking about what I think that joke is about, where I think that joke comes from, but I'm going to leave it there because the joke will get repeated. And when it gets repeated, I'll talk about it more. But that's this main moment. And keep in mind that we haven't seen these two characters before. And there's a funny, a weird moment where Jacqueline's on the left, Jack's on the right, the bartender is kind of in between, but sometimes behind Jack. And when everyone laughs at Jack, it cuts to a shot of Brock and that other guy. I'll just call him Joe for now. But the problem is, the shot of Brock and Joe, the Jacqueline's in the foreground. So you can kind of see her face and her hat. I say, ooh, that's some strange cutting right there. That's not how you cut a bit like that. Some weird cutting in these minutes of the howling. Anyways, um, so so the main thing that happened in this minute is we learned that um, Jack and Jacqueline color coordinate, and people make fun of them because of that. So so there you have it. So I guess, I guess I'll stop here because I've yacked enough. So this is Howling 2 and 7-2. Uh, we'll come back next time, and we will hear more about where this werewolf came from. Or we'll just get more confused. 
and we will um, hopefully have a full-on werewolf attack or maybe just some goofy Three Stooges-style werewolves throwing shit around in a warehouse for another minute. I don't know. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Talk to you next time.